Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Pebble Report Podcast. Justin Wick and Kenneth Weber back in business. Kenneth, we did not get drafted, man. Yeah, it's. I thought I had a chance. I really did, because I'm only one month older than Clayton Kershaw. So, I mean, they're still bad. <laughs> but uh, I just didn't get the call. I, I left the, day, the whole day open and just crickets the whole time. So, <laughs> I had there. my phone. My phone was right next to me the whole day. Apparently, yeah. they don't draft journalists. Based on my age, I had my landline. I was sitting next to it. <laughs> I was sitting there with my 8-track, my DVD player. Yeah. And my flip phone. Nobody called, man. Playing Snake. <laughs> you know, that was a good day. <laughs> You're bringing up the archives right there, man. Yeah, you know, I'm it's funny as you say life. that. Yeah, it's goodness, man. You're starting to age me a little bit now. I got, I'm, I'm going to get insecure about it, man. Look, um, I mean, it still works. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I had one of those back in the day. There you go. Uh-huh. You know, it's funny, too. Like, I mean, just watching the broadcast of the draft on MLB Network, like, I mean, this is, it, it's fun. Well, I guess it was on ESPN for part of it, too. Um, like, just the logistics of the way it is, the configuration. I mean, it felt very much like an NFL draft type of environment. I mean, they put it on primetime air. I mean, I realized there's, on a night, on a Sunday in the summer, I guess there's not really much. They didn't even have Sunday night baseball that day, so I guess you got to put something on ESPN. But, I mean, it was it was very cool. Like, I mean, it was cool to see this. Of course, you know, we certainly have the Rockies twist on things. We had to be somewhat patient but not too patient to get to pick number 10 and you know but statistically speaking if everybody gets one pick per round you know you're looking at i mean the average club is gonna get three picks in the first 90 selections the rockies had five in the first 90 so mm-hmm. i mean I, I know it's not that exact proportion necessarily because come like the competitive balance rounds all that stuff but like yeah this is this is what we're here to do is to break down we got a whole bunch of selections that require a whole lot of attention as we're going through here. So with the it disclaimer, no, I mean, it was going to be even more important if we were picked though, but we weren't. Yeah. So this is, this is the type of draft <laughs> and like the diamondbacks had this a few years ago too. When you need to restock a farm system, honestly, having five, six, seven picks in the top hundred are the most important drafts to do that. Because uh, if you get a whole lot of nothing out of it, you just set yourself back for years. But you can really fast track uh, a redevelopment, a retooling in the farm system with a, with a class like this. So it was very, very noteworthy for this, as opposed to like the year after we signed Desmond and we're not picking until the second round. So yeah. some, some are bigger than others. And this was just honestly a big one. I will say on the production side, man, it did not take need to take like six hours to get through. <laughs> like, it's cool that they do the prime time and obviously they're playing catch up to uh, growing the game outside of just, you know, the sport being played on the field. <sighs> six hours is like a long time. <laughs> That's a session, dude. Yeah. It's a big deal. <laughs> that is brutal. It's like, it's like I just had to read one of the driest fiction books I've ever had (laughs) through it. Like they could speed it up here a little bit, but I don't know. It's cool that they're putting it on a bigger stage. Sure. Well, I mean, if you need the instant crash course on everything that happened, it sounds like we're about to speed up six hours of your life right here as we prepare. We're going to take seven. (laughs) You never know. You get to, you get the two of us on a tangent right there. I mean, you never know what we're going to run into, man. Mm-hmm. No, and I mean, it's it's exciting, too. I mean, especially if you just look at the finances. The Rockies had a bonus pool of about $15 million that they were able to spend at the draft this year. And, I mean, they had approximately $8.5 that they spent 
with their first three selections. So, I mean, if you go on to like the sport track chart and find out how much the Rockies are paying players this year, you know, that's, that's a good sum of money. And I mean, that money doesn't just come from anywhere. Like that's something that, you know, as you're able to break this through and I guess, I mean, this will be a good foray into what we're kind of just talking about right off the top. The Rockies selecting Gabriel Hughes pitcher from Gonzaga with the 10th overall selection. There's a signing, but the slot value was approximately 4.98 million. The Rockies went and got him for just about 1 million under slot. They paid 4 million for him. So the tricky part of this, and I mean, for those that may not be familiar with the MLB draft, you don't declare for the baseball draft like you do some of the other pro sports drafts. I mean, there's a risk of you're not actually going to sign everybody that you get. Um, I guess we can skip over this because the Rockies actually did sign every single player they drafted. So we can breathe a little easier and realize that we're not going to have a Kumar Rocker 2021 moment necessarily. (laughs) But, you know, it's, I mean, just the glaring kind of impressions on what's going on right here. Again, that is a good sum of money. And understandably so, every team is going to allocate this and they already kind of budget for it with the draft. But, you know, the strategy of, you know, the financial navigation, that was something that really stood out to me initially when, you know, you pick a guy with the MLB pipeline prospect draft ranking of Gabriel Hughes at number 26 on that draft ranking board. And, you know, you go out and get number 26 with pick number 10. I remember there was kind of some initial aversion that I think there were some people that were kind of questioning, I guess, the motive initially, kind of like when the Denver Broncos went and drafted Tim Tebow, I suppose. <laughs> I mean, I know it's not that drastic. That's a whole different can of worms. <laughs> That's so <laughs> not fair. I am so sorry. That was, that no. was a low blow. I, no, but I mean, yeah, it, it took people by surprise. And I think that's that's definitely fair to say. Um, when you're getting into slot values um, and how the financial format plays out and the intricacies there, you know, that's that's a big factor. And so taking Gabriel Hughes... 10th overall wasn't because they felt that Gabriel Hughes was the best player available. It was he fit the most in the format for them to maximize those first five picks, those four four and five picks. Um, And I think it was evident as soon as his name was called. So there's definitely a whole financial strategy that comes in and, and Hughes was a big factor in that. You know, that's a great analysis, honestly. I mean, you, I couldn't have said it any better myself at that point. And, I mean, very interesting to see, especially, you know, this was a very position player heavy draft. That I mean, you just look across the board at, you know, the first round selections. It seemed like anybody that drafted a pitcher, with the exception of, I guess, Dylan Lesko to the Padres, he was at pick number 15. That was kind of, I guess, a somewhat projection of where he was supposed to be. But, I mean, you go down the list and you look at all the other pitchers that were selected, it seemed as though... You know, there were pro, there were organizations that committed themselves to getting a pitcher. They felt like that's what they needed. I think very rationally so, being that the Rockies haven't drafted a first-round pitcher since Ryan Rollison back in 2019. So I guess, you know, you can't necessarily analyze the first pick right off the bat without looking at the next two. And, I mean, just the financial specifics on what went on. Sterling Thompson from Florida was the second overall pick by the Rockies. They went and snatched him up at pick number 31. They went down and got Jordan Beck from Tennessee. Absolutely just electric spring at this point out of Jordan Beck. They got him at pick number 38. And, you know, again, you really do have to look at the financial figures. Sterling Thompson didn't have, I'm I'm sorry, he did have the leverage. I'm looking at four-year sophomore, and I just saw the S and was thinking senior. My goodness, I just Mm -hmm. had a moment right there. (laughs) Sterling Thompson, a sophomore, he had the leverage, but he decided to sign right at slot value. So the Rockies called him up saying, you know, will you sign for the figure that we're looking for? He says, yes, you go and get him at pick number 31. Jordan Beck, they gave himself 
a little bit more of a slot cushion. The slot value at pick number 38 was 2.05 million. Beck signed for just over that at 2.20. So, you know, I looked down the list and I mean, there wasn't really any glaring just inadequacies that I thought, you know, when they picked Jordan Beck, I was under the impression that they were going to have to pay him a little bit more. Um, Pipeline ranked him at number 23. Rocky snatched him up at number 38, which gave me the impression that people didn't have the money to give him that he was asking for. So is it, I mean, I do, I guess my premise on this, it's not really rational to just view it the single top pick without looking at the two that followed. Do you think that the Rockies really came together and got what they were really looking for at that point? I guess where I want to twist this, you get two outfielders with the next two picks, which yes, you need three guys in a big league outfield. We've got of course, Benny Montgomery and Zach Veen as the inevitable ones. Were you pleased to see the positional distribution of going out and getting those outfielders? Would you maybe have liked to have seen an, an infielder? Or, I mean, honestly, do you just prioritize the bats at that point? Um, I'm not surprised at, at them going for Beck and Thompson um, because I think that they fit into the Rockies' philosophy of trying to just find whatever middle-of-the-order potential you can or the best at, at that range and going for it. And, you know, that's where they have found their biggest hits over the years and believing that they can improve their defensive value. Um I would have really liked to see more up the middle talent than corner profile. And that's just, again, going against the grain of what the Rockies do, though. So that's something that I could pretty much say with every draft class. I think in my perfect world, they make a deal with Drew Gilbert instead of Jordan Beck. And Gilbert is one of those two signings because then I feel much more... I have a lot more assurance that you're getting a center fielder of the future a little bit. And I think that that's still hanging out there, even with some of the guys that we have in the system existing, like Benny Montgomery or a Zach Veen. You know, you talk about these terrific hitters. Somebody needs to be able to play center, and that's a big ask for Coors Field. So when you're looking into the long, you know, into the, the distant future, having somebody that you feel as sure as you can about being able to play center field is a is bigger for Colorado than it is for say a Cincinnati or something like that because that's just the nature of their home ballpark. So if you're asking me my perfect world, whether it's shortstop, whether it's second, whether it's center field, I would have liked to see them uh, you know, target up the middle a little bit more. But it's also, you know, the Rockies loving their corner bats. And so I'm not surprised by it. Uh, yeah. You talked about the savings, though, too. And that, I think, leads into their next two picks with Jackson Cox and Carson Palmquist. Um, you know, that's where they went a little bit more over slot. So the Hughes effect and the savings of that million dollars doesn't just go to Thompson and Beck. It basically went to Beck, Cox, and Palmquist to be able to get to the guys they wanted. So it balanced pretty well in those first four picks after Hughes. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely agree with that. That's funny, as I'm looking through the slot figures, it seems like for the most part, a lot of players, I mean, beyond that third round, really signed for right around what that pick value was supposed to be. I personally was kind of curious as far as, you know, it's deceiving because we're still facing the after effects of COVID right now. And I understand, you know, they didn't get the reps that they would have otherwise received in 2020 unless they went and played at the limited editions of summer ball that existed that year. But, you know, Sterling Thompson was able to play in the SEC, as was Jordan Beck. And, you know, you're dealing with players that, you know, yes, they I mean, eligibility wise, Thompson was still a sophomore. Beck was a junior. I mean, you're working with guys. They're both 
born in the year 2001, which that still scares me. My goodness. I mean, we'll move on from that right away. Um, it's, right. it's funny to me just to be able to see this and start to recognize that, you know, the maturity of these particular players, I really have got kind of excited recognizing. I mean, if you view the SEC as, I mean, what it deservedly is, the highest level of college baseball that exists, um, I mean, I don't know what the minor league equivalent would rationally be to compare it. I mean, what are the average pitchers you're going to see on a weekend in the SEC? I feel like there's a pretty good candidacy that those guys are going to be pitching in low A at some point, at the very least low A. Um, no, so I mean, I was I was ambitious to see this, to recognize that the Rockies are getting some like well-developed players. And I felt like, you know, really feeding off the high school signings of Zach Dean and Benny Montgomery. I thought that, you know, the natural progression of what those two guys have already done in the minor leagues, maybe that means you put Thompson and Beck right in the similar mix and they're kind of on a similar developmental pipeline. And I mean, I guess my premise on this was it really started to take shape of this is what the Rockies view the next true competitive window could be. Like those selections, I think, I mean, just beyond the players, just looking at the fact of where their age is and where their development is. It really seems like the organization is really starting to rally behind, you know, when the time comes that Zach Bean truly is getting into the big leagues. That is the window where the Rockies are inevitably going to, I mean, hopefully have the, com the competitive pieces that they need in order to go out and succeed like the way that they do. So, I mean, you move down to the second and third round. I figure the only rational move at that point was to go out and get pitchers. This is something that we saw with the 2021 draft of going out and getting Chris McMahon, Jaden Hill, these guys a little bit further down the list once we bolstered after Benny Montgomery. Um, got a high school pitcher, Jackson Cox. I know that we have had choice selections talking about, you know, how much are the Rockies going to actually show the ambition of actually picking one of these. We still have the sour taste of, with all due respect, Riley Pint fresh in our minds at this point. Um, as soon as Jackson Cox was selected, Kenneth, I instantly thought of you. Um, oh. breaking pitches from what I understand. I mean, it seems projectable. Again, we're dealing with high school figures that, I mean, if you're going to be picked in the top two rounds, of course, you're going to absolutely carve any high schooler that you're going to face, but you know, your initial impressions, are you excited about this? Is this in, is this a justifiable thing? Is the aversion for Rockies drafting high school pitchers still there? Or is this something that you could see as a positive down the road? I mean, you, I start out with he has an absolute hammer for a hook. I mean, it's it's very impressive. So stuff wise, you know, Jackson Cox is uh, it, it sure looks good and it looks like a promising profile. And you can see, you know, a future really, really good starter possibly being developed out of him. Uh, but you also have to understand the demographic, first of all, where high school pitching has a stigma for a reason. You know, their Rockies aren't the only organization that has a horror story of selecting with a very high pick a high school pitcher that just didn't pan out. And so, you know, that's that's what a lot of front offices and a lot of organizations have had to go through because that's just the risk that's built into it. Um, to that point, that is why Gabriel Hughes was selected and not Dylan Lesko and not Brock Porter. Uh, the Rockies could end up, you know, regretting some of the players that they didn't pick because they selected to go with Hughes, not only for cost saving purposes, but also because he's a college arm and they just feel safer that they're going to get a major leaguer out of it. And that's the, you know, the Rockies at least being honest with themselves. So, um, 
that same conversation carries over to Justin Cox, but there's a little bit lesser of a risk because now you're not whiffing on the 10th overall pick. Now, if it doesn't work out, if it doesn't, you know, get developed the way that he should. And honestly, that's, you know, what we're dancing around the entire time. Um, you still came out of it with a Gabriel Hughes. You still, you know, came out with it two with two outfielders before you took your big risk. Um, so for the pitcher that he is, big hammer can kind of live in the the mid nineties, can touch the upper nineties. We'll see how that velocity um, trends as you know he develops more because we're always talking about an eighteen year old uh, when we're talking about high schoolers. So there's a long way to go, but. That's a big, big breaking ball that that can play well. And if he's able to, you know, have a, a good fastball to play off of it, there's there's reason for optimism behind it. Um, he was also, you know, one of the guys that they use the biggest savings on. He signed for uh, 300,000 over slots. When you talk about saving a million dollars on Gabriel Hughes from slot value, well, Jackson Cox was a big byproduct of that. Um I look at Peyton Graham and I look at Blade Twid, uh, Tidwell selected right after him, though. And I kind of, you know, those are two guys that I yeah. really liked. And so, um, you know, that one, that's the the big risk that still comes with it. It's not that you're, you know, adverse to risk. You can still get really good players and, um, you know, at that, at that range. And I thought Graham and Tidwell were really good players. So. We'll see how it goes. You know, that's the fun part of being able to cover farm systems is is watching the guys um, as they develop and and seeing what comes from these draft picks. Um, but we really look at Cox, and in my opinion, that was the biggest risk that the Rockies took out of this draft class. And it took me a while to chew on this. And at first, I was really wanting the Rockies to take a big swing. You know, Kevin Parada could be a Kyle Schwarber that they passed on and got taken a pick after um, that irked me at the beginning. But then I started thinking back to, all right, well, we just took Zach Veen and drew Romo. Yeah. In the first two rounds, two years ago. And then we took Betty Montgomery. And then we took Jaden Hill last year in the first two rounds, another high school hitter. And then Jaden Hill essentially pitched like 15 innings in three years in college. <laughs> so it's, you know, there were, there were much riskier drafts in the previous two seasons and to have a little bit more of a safety net in this one, a little bit more security and you're, you're beefing up your farm system. It might not necessarily have as many of the all-star ceilings and the high end outcomes, but I think there's a, an elevation to the floor of the system with this draft pick and Cox is the exception so far. So I actually do like this when I, you know, take a few steps back and look at it over the past three drafts. Um, but we'll see, you know, maybe Cox ends up being a big steal and that stuff translates as he gets older, but that's, that's the risk with high school pitching too. So, yeah, I mean, I like that justification too, because when you have those compensation picks, like you do, you earn the right to take some chances mm -hmm. and my instinctive move as it was going through, I was really hoping they were going to take Blade Tidwell out of Tennessee. He was still on the board at pick number 50. And I know you touched on this a little bit. My initial impression was. I felt like Blade Tidwell didn't get the asking price that he was looking for. Um, Jackson Cox signed for 1.85 million. Pick value was 1.55. Blade Tidwell also signed for 1.85 million. Mm -hmm. So it got me curious. I mean, I know that some players can be kind of selective to the organizations that they want to participate in. Um, I guess kind of the 
when you look at the different rationale that agents may have, maybe some organization is going to have more favor than others. Maybe Blade Sidwell, for whatever reason, priced the Rockies out of what he was looking for and he felt higher on the Mets. I mean, there's, there's a lot of terminology there. And Mets, Rockies didn't feel comfortable with his shoulder injury. I mean, because that was a big thing with Tidwell is that was a first round talent that barely pitched um, in 2022. So it, the Rockies could have just been scared off by the, the, the potential injury risk too. Yeah. And I think that's, I mean, it's definitely like, I mean, it's interesting too, especially right after you go get Jaden Hill, like you mentioned, you know, you already picked a player with a similar injury history and, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want the same issue to burn you twice necessarily. That was something that, you know, I didn't necessarily see it in the immediacy of it. I admit I was leaning towards Tidwell, but right when, I mean, you kind of put that rationality. I think you were actually the one that convinced me about this in like the minutes after. Oh, don't ever be persuaded to me. I mean, <laughs> no, stop it, man. Hey, there's a reason I have you as the guest, the guest host here, man. No, there's fun to see this. There's okay. a large pool of those guys that are right after Cox, though. So, I mean, it's it's a pick your poison. You have a high school pitcher. You don't do great with high school pitchers. That's your risk. All right. Well, you have Blade Tidwell, and who knows if his shoulder goes. Uh, you have Carson Wisenhunt, who barely threw it all last season. What are you going to yeah. get out of somebody like that? Uh, you know, so there, Peyton Pallet is another one with Arkansas. You know, there could be a, a number of different reasons why um, they didn't go with those guys. Or the simplest explanation could just be they think that Jackson Cox is going to develop into a better player than those guys are, too. So I can understand the argument both ways on it. I just worry about the Rockies history and being able to develop a high school pitcher. And that's, you know, something that they have to earn the other way, I think, for for followers of the Rockies is all right. You can basically only have one high school pitcher in your system at a time. And it's been Peter Lambert for like the last six years. (laughs) Well, Jackson Cox, you're it now. So. What are they, you know, we're going to have to see what happens, but you know, it's, it's a good arm to take a gamble on. I'll say that much. He's, he's, yeah, he's yeah. an impressive arm. And, you know, I think something that I'm excited about too is, I mean, this kid has the opportunity to really change the stigma of Rocky's pitching development, which mm-hmm. I mean, understandably. So, you know, this, maybe it is short-sighted if it's just one person that strikes gold and just so happens to pan out. But I mean, it's, it's exciting to think that, you know, the narrative that's fresh in our mind, you mentioned Peter Lambert. I mean, a lot of people will go back to Riley Pint whenever they look at high school draftees. Tyler Matzig. Um, yeah. And I mean, I guess Ryan Castellani might have been another one that was kind of in there. And it, I mean, you see these careers and I mean, for the point of just looking at the recent history of the Rockies, we haven't had a high school Clayton Kershaw. I mean, nobody's had a high school Clayton Kershaw than the Dodgers. I guess that's not exactly fair. But, you know, the guys that really pan we out. We haven't even had really a Rick <laughs> yeah no kidding i really overshot that one of course <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean I've, i'm excited to see that you know we at least have a new case study and recognizing that it didn't necessarily hurt us because we had so many different competitive balance and compensation picks you know you can kind of breathe a breath like a breath of fresh uh, excuse me a breath of fresh air recognizing that maybe there is a chance that this is going to play out and even beyond that you went out and got Carson Palmquist out of Miami right after there so it wasn't like you necessarily skimped on the depth and you never know where the success is going to come from I mean even within the organization so I guess another little transition that I wanted to put together is I mean of course we do cover the Rockies minor leagues in specifics but I feel like we would be remiss if we didn't look at the draft as a whole we're kind of looking at, you know, who are the players that you really had your eye on that maybe they went to a different team? I mean, I know you mentioned a little bit talking about, you know, the second round pitching staff and who was around that selection of Jackson Cox. But was there any other players that you really looked at that you really felt strong about? And 
Is there somebody that you feel like kind of got away that you think would have been a great fit in a Rockies uniform? Um, you know, I with Dylan Lesko, it's going to be a big thing about how how is he going to um, look after his rehab from Tommy John. That could be somebody that haunts the Rockies because he's going to be in San Diego. He was so good before he went down um, in the spring with the elbow injury. So I understand the reasoning for passing. Like I don't blame the Rockies necessarily for passing. And I'm also, you know, I live in the real world where I I knew they were never going to take him in the first place. (laughs) Um, So, but that, you know, that's one that, that could be a big got away type of uh, player. Um, You know, going down the list with it again, I mentioned, I really would have loved to see, Drew Gilbert get talked into taking a deal at 31. Who knows how realistic that is, you know, was or wasn't. Um, but he was a good one. Uh, I think it would have been fun to have Ivan Melendez personally. You know, I would like to really see him crush, especially since the Rockies didn't get the chance to go after um, Jacob Berry, who anybody that followed me knew I had a, <laughs> I, was a big fan. I would have loved to see Jacob Berry here, but you know, he, yeah, he came I, off the board. Um, and then the only other one, you know, it's I don't know if it's a sentimental thing. I don't know if it's just my my hunches that I'm listening to a little bit too much. Um, but uh, Robert Moore out of Arkansas, uh, I just think that there's going to be kind of that overachieving infielder that a lot of successful teams are able to develop and bring into the fold. Um, and I, I see him as kind of being that guy and the Rockies could have taken him, you know, with the third round pick. So, yeah. You know, I, 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 that's somebody that's very, very low key and I could easily be wrong about, could easily be wrong about all of them. Um, but that's somebody, yeah, very, you know, very low key that I always was fond of, um, for my particular reasons. Yeah. I like your reasoning too. And I mean, I, I know we've talked, I know we talked even before the draft talking about some of these guys. So it's funny to hear this now in retrospect, seeing how it actually played out, of course. Um, I was looking, I was curious about Kate Horton going to the Cubs at pick number seven. And this is a pitcher that mm. caught fire in the big 12 tournament. He kind of lost himself from what I understand at the back half of the spring season. I was, yeah. I was hopeful. I mean, I didn't know. I mean, he was, expected to go right around pick number 24 i wondered if there was going to be a chance that the rockies would scoop him up at pick number 31 even and i mean just going you know maybe the sample size wasn't big enough as far as you know you caught fire for a conference tournament and you rode the wave through a college world series runner-up finish i figured that was kind of the more attractive pick just based on how he finished in a postseason setup and of course the cubs saw what they wanted of him so i mean it is what it is i i I guess a premise on this, if he was still available, would you have gone with him or would you have gone with Hughes? Uh, at 10? At 10, yeah. Ooh. Uh, I, you know, I had a hard time with the the helium on Horton um, of really falling in love with him with, with pick seven overall. For me personally, like just the, the Kate Horton selection, I have a real problem with them taking him over brooks lee just the cubs in general um i I, like if he ends up going higher and if the rockies have the choice between horton or hughes i am for lack of a better term indifferent between it i feel like you know there's there's a pretty pretty good pitcher you're getting out of either of those and you know it still achieves the goal of the underslot value um but man, if if Brooks Lee had fallen to ten and the Rockies didn't do it, I would have just <laughs> been hysterical. 
um, and and the Cubs passing on on Brooks Lee to to take Cade Horton really surprised me. I mean, the the biggest surprise was Kumar first of all, and there's sure, a lot yeah. of there's a lot of guys in here that we looked at for 31 and 38 and we said, okay, you know, I'll lick my lips a little bit if they're available with it. And they were long gone. Like they were, they were super long gone. Owen Murphy was a very um, well thought of, you know, possible target for 31 to 38. He ended up going number 20 overall. Um, you know, Kumar was one of those guys that you looked at. Uh, I thought Noah Schultz was somebody that, that could do it. Big, tall lefty. Um, so, you know, there were, there were a lot of surprises um, of, of guys that were not available at 31 and 38. And then at the same time, you ended up getting Jordan Beck still sitting there where a lot of people yeah. thought he was going, you know, in those mid twenties. So it kind of worked out in the end, but if it came to Horton or, um, or Gabriel Hughes, I like the durability that Hughes has shown. You know, I, I feel like there's a little bit more safety in Hughes's profile as opposed to Horton, which was a bit a real late flash because he had never really shown much health to that point. So, you know, I, I'm fine with the decision for that reason alone. Yeah, I'm comfortable recognizing. I mean, the fact that you knew you were going to get a pitcher. I, I think that, you know, the longevity of the body of work was more comprehensive for a guy like Gabriel Hughes. Speaking mm -hmm. of which, I, I know we've joked about this. Is he Does he go by Gabe Hughes or does he go by Gabriel? I I'm still saying real. He just takes out the game <laughs> entirely. So he's going to be the real Hughes, but I, I don't know. <laughs> that's, I that's mean, a I'm, I'm clown. Yeah. Like I've clowned about this for years. I called him Jonathan gray for way too long. <laughs> now I just feel like an idiot for that. <laughs> so that's, that's an interesting thing too. That uh, when we were talking before recording, that made me think of this. Have you seen a lot of people saying, Oh, they just drafted another John gray. Did the Rockies, you know, just get John Gray again with this? I, I did see that. Yeah. What? What? Where does that sit with you? It, just in your gut, how does that sentence feel? I mean, I, I'm very predetermined. Like, I have a predisposed notion that Hughes was not as highly touted. I mean, we kind of knew that John Gray was going to be a top ten selection, and I mean, just from the general impression of where Hughes was selected, I mean, there was kind of some surprise of the Rockies went up to get him. I suppose that's not necessarily a bad thing. I don't I don't hate it. And I think, I mean, durability-wise, they seem very similar projectable frame. It seems like assuming that they're able to create their stuff, that's that's what they need. I kind of fall back on, you know, what is the competitive balance that you're going to see out of? I mean, I was just flipping through the schedule that Gonzaga has. I mean, they routinely, they'll go play Oregon State down in Arizona to start the season. They're, I mean, they're, they're not playing bad opponents. I mean, you got midweek action against some Pac-12 teams. I know, well, Gabriel Hughes would not be pitching on a Tuesday. I'm sorry, but yeah. Uh, yeah, now that now that I I stand corrected there, but sure. no, I mean I I see this and you know instinctively I felt that the competition that John Gray was going to be facing at Oklahoma was I mean for the same reason of why Jacob Berry seemed like an attractive pick. You know, a position player that's playing every day at LSU has kind of already got themselves used to minor league level competition on the weekends. So I, I fall back on this, and I felt like there was more that John Gray was able to prove. But then again, looking at what Gabriel Hughes put together on his starts, I felt like, you know, it wasn't against inferior competition. And I mean, sure, you're going to, like, the Sacramento states of the world may not necessarily stack up against the Oklahoma states. But, I mean, recognizing that, you know, you don't view it necessarily on the result-wise. You view it on the actual stuff. I mean, it's I, th I think that is lofty. Again, I... 
instinctively hesitate to compare anybody immediately just because we actually picked Greg Reynolds over Tim Lincecum here in yeah. Rocky's land. So we want to go there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I know I, I already talked about Kershaw this. once this episode. You need to talk about him <laughs> I know. again. I, I said, I said Lincecum and Scherzer instead of Kershaw. Yeah. Those are the other two that we passed on. Two of the next 15. How do, you, I mean, how do you know? Yeah. Like, like, how do you know? That's the thing. So, I mean, it's, hmm. I, I hate to say this as like an encryptive defensive answer, and I realize this isn't really saying anything. I I guess a safe way of saying this is I understand. Mm-hmm. Just as far as, you know, the pitch mix, the body frame, the ceiling that does exist. In an ideal circumstance, you know, looking at the at least the preliminaries that we do know, I think that could be reasonable. I think that we're, I mean, honestly, we're going to be able to see a lot just early on with how it's going to pan out in low A. So I would say, you know, I'll feel a lot more comfortable supporting that, seeing how he's able to adapt to, I mean, just the pro style of play. But, I mean, people throwing that out there, you know, everything aside as far as, you know, I don't necessarily think his stuff was clearly the top 10 instant. I mean, it's we look at how thin the pitching actually was in this draft. That's not against Hughes by any means because he was still projected as a late first rounder. But I'm thinking as far as those details are and assuming that they actually progressed into the ceiling that they're looking to be in, I don't think that's far-fetched. I say that with a huge reluctancy because I don't want this. I mean, somebody's going to go back and listen to this five years from now and they may call me out big time. But, you know, I understand that kind of rationale. And, you know, I'm certainly not going to disagree with anybody if they throw that out there. Yeah, I, I, I'm I'm with you for the most part. Um, it's not the, the worst cop in the world necessarily. My thing that 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 I stick to is the velocity has to sustain where it's been for Hughes, because the thing with John Gay, John Gray coming out of Oklahoma is John Gray was this big redhead pumping 101 the entire yeah. time with his scooters, and he ended up dropping down to 97, 96, 97, and that's kind of where Hughes is at right now. So um, if Hughes sticks 96, 97 for the next 10 years and has the big slider, you know he never Gray had an underrated changeup here. I always thought his curveball was poopy um, and he threw it too much, but he at least had a third <laughs> pitch. Um, Hughes needs to develop that. And that's that's not a big secret. Um, but if that velocity becomes a 92, 94, can touch 95, that's a, that's a step down. And that's the difference between John Gray being a great number two profile and Gabriel Hughes being a solid number three back of the rotation profile instead. So for me, it's all about whether or not he can maintain that velocity. Because if he drops down like Gray did after his draft, you know, it does. It makes a difference. You know, 96 is just different. Yeah, you know, that is an excellent premise. And I think another kind of feedback on this. I was excited to see the Rockies went and got somebody with a lot of bite on a slider as opposed to, I mean, it's, I don't know what the altitude is going to do for Jackson Cox curveball. Sure. I mean, it's something that I've kind of been curious as far as Ryan Rollison, when we see the time comes, what's going to happen to his curveball at Coors Field. I was ambitious to see that they got a guy with a slider like that. Again, mm-hmm. similar. I mean, you mentioned trying to compare this to where John Gray is. I think that that'll be kind of an interesting tell as far as, you know, are they going to start really hammering that home? Are they going to start really hammering his changeup? I think that's something that's been touted as that's a very developmental pitch for him. And you know, I'm interested to see it. You bring up excellent points trying to figure out, you know, you don't want to burn this guy out too soon. And I'm curious to see how often they're going to be able to throw him. But 
you know, we've got yeah. a lot to be excited about. I think that's kind of the cool thing. I do want to, before we go to a commercial break, I want to give a little selfish plug talking about, you know, you mentioned if Brooks Lee was going to be able to dip down to pick number 10. Oh, yeah. Somebody I know just so happened to pitch against Brooks Lee in the summer of 2020. <laughs> yeah. And he, hit a little, he hit a little seeing eye single up the middle that scored a run. It was also He's one of my got- worst outings. Of this. I have the video and everything. I should have him sign the ball or something like that. Yeah, I'm looking but, at Justin's background right now. He still has the broken bat over his door <laughs> frame right now. I wouldn't shook his hand, dude. Thanks. No, I'm kidding. No, I did. <laughs> I, I got got him to fly out to right. I mean, it was it was crushed. It was hammered. I mean, we just have been having to strike some luck having a guy right there. But I was actually hoping that I mean, in the slim chance that Brooks Lee was going to go to Colorado, I had the video queued up. I tweeted it out. I was being such a clown. So. <laughs> Total fangirl. To yeah, there you go. Just really kissing up to my guy Brooks Lee right there, but. That is our full draft recap that we've got. We'll, we'll touch a little bit more details on the draft. I say that's our full recap. We'll talk a little bit more after a little our commercial break. first segment. <laughs> no kidding. Just when we think we got it all mapped out, man. But we'll go ahead and crank out a little bit of supplemental details. We'll go all the way down through rounding out the whole selections, all the way down to round number 20. We'll talk a little bit about some breakout performers that have been performing in the minor league ranks, the guys that we have known and loved for a little bit longer than these guys for about a month. And we'll wrap it up talking about where all these affiliates are heading over the next couple weeks. Thanks again for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Kenneth and I just absolutely clowning once again. Having a blast. You guys make this show what it is, man. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is the Pebble Report Podcast. This is the MLB Draft Roundup. We have covered, I mean, I think we've said pretty much every single name that was selected earlier than the fourth round at this point in time, and we still have some juicy nuggets to go about. Anyways, we've been talking a bunch on our break, just talking all sorts of baseball. We actually got really carried away on our little brief commercial break, talking about all sorts of nonsense, but back in business. Philosophy, Greek. Just, yeah, you know, just, you, you get into these deep, theological discussions yeah quoting my boy (laughs) i don't really know where to go from this at this point man uh somebody that we didn't talk about uh before we we touched on him briefly is carson palmquist i just want to get this out here real quick so he was uh he became the ace of miami staff after being the closer uh the prior year the dude is brian fuentes like 2.0 I'm kind of excited to see how that goes. I don't I don't necessarily see a long-term starter. It'll be interesting if that happens. Uh, but if you have the chance, go look at video of Carson Palmquist pitching. And if you're old enough like me to remember going to watch Brian Fuentes throw live and that T-Rex from the left side, <laughs> kind of what Palmquist is. So that's, that's going to be an interesting one to watch just because it's super duper funky. So, you know, I'm glad yeah, you I mentioned that too. I was, I, I meant to say something earlier. His arm slot is like extremely attractive, especially from the left side. Um, mm-hmm. For those that remember just the absolute shortage of relief pitching the Rockies had from the left side in 2020, I instantly thought, you know, this is a guy that can realistically cure those issues. It's fun. I mean, he really established, he established himself as a reliever and he had a shortened freshman season and then one of the better closers in division one in 2021. Um, I'm looking to, he had 14 saves, which I mean, in big league world, that's a little different when you got 162 games, but when you're dealing with 56 games in college, you know, that's 
that's I believe it was in the top five of Division One relievers. And I mean, he just strikes out everybody. And I mean, I think it's a testament to the arm slot that he's working with. So, you know, it's something that made me breathe a whole lot easier, especially after Jackson Cox. I realized, you know, a college reliever going out of your, I mean, yes, he does have starting experience, so I don't want to knock Palm Quist for that. But I mean, realizing that, you know, you've already proven your durability at this point. And I think that that's somebody you can feel comfortable being able to adjust. I think some people seem to forget Chris Sale was used as a reliever all the way up through the minor leagues. And then all of a sudden he gets up to the big leagues and they realistically changed him to a starter after just a shotgun conversion in AAA. So I, I realize that's a, that might be a lofty comparison, but, you know, excited to see that one come together. Um, again, that was the third round. That was pick number 88. Um, Carson Palmquist, a little bit over slot value. He signed for 775000 Pick value was about 713 So, again, you know, you saved a little bit of money there. I realize you're starting to talk kind of pennies on the dollar at that point when you're dealing with just about five figures as opposed to the seven that exist in the first three rounds. But, you know, that might have been another selection. Yes, that is a little bit slimmer, but you were able to go out and get him. Rank was about 86, according to what Pipeline had him at. Rockies picked him up at 88, and that's an exciting thing to be able to put together. And, you know, 6'3", 185, like, I, I like the frame of just a lengthy type. I mean, I know that's not exactly Max Meyer lengthy by any means, but, you know, it seems like a dude that you can kind of get behind. I'm fired up about that one. Yeah, and I mean, those are, that's like, I, I, I can't escape the bullpen long term with him. Um, So I, I could very well be wrong about it. Don't, you know, don't quote me on it. But I, those those type of relievers that have deception to go with stuff, they can have really long careers. And so, uh, you you know, you look at a guy like maybe a Steve Ciszek, and I think it could be like a similar career arc, but obviously almost with more opportunity because he's left handed instead of right. So, you know, it's it's just one of those interesting ones more for the player um, than just the fit. But it's good stuff. It's it's hard stuff from a really weird angle. A lot of uncomfortable at bat. So you know, a lot of big league careers are made out of um, the skills that that Palmquist has shown. You know, I'm all for just dudes that are fun to watch, and that's one yeah. of them right there, man. Yeah. Like at the very least, the entertainment value that's going to come out of that is something to be said. Yeah. Try standing um, I do want to cover 94 coming yeah. from the hip. And I mean, honestly, that arm angle, that it don't matter how high your elevation is, that thing is not, I mean, that's, as long as it's coming out deceiving, I mean, it's interesting to see what pitch mix is going to change, but I mean, the yeah. deception that he's able to generate, that's something that, you know, I think that often gets overlooked. I mean, it's, it's really easy to look at the history of Rockies pitchers and realize, well, they seem to really be favoring, you know, the fastball slider combos of Carlos Estevez, Daniel Bard, even... Gabriel Hughes is following that similar projection. We've seen this with, I mean, a ton of different dudes. And, you know, I understand that you don't necessarily, I mean, projectability wise, if you have a deceiving arm action, it's not like those are the dudes that really seem to have the higher ceiling. You generally go after the dudes with cleaner arm action than the more reliable over the long term. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it's just, yeah. And I mean, all the while it's, it's fun to realize they're taking a shot on something like that. I mean, you mentioned taking a shot with Jackson Cox. I mean, going to get a high school kid, but you know, but I don't think anybody arm. really views. Yeah. And I mean, it's, yeah, it's fun to see. I guess I'm trying to think as far as last season when we went out, Chris McMahon was in the mix and then you, I mean, you get a little bit more of the generic type of, I'm not trying to say that they're against the grain in 2021, but you know, you bolstered it with the Sam Weatherly's and the Chris mm-hmm. McMahon's of last season, right around that similar selection point, And 
you know, it's it's fun to see this going. You know, we kind of got a little wrench in the system right now. And not to mention, you know, a college teammate of Chris McMahon at Miami. So you never know where that's going to pan out, too. Yeah. And that's the Rockies wheelhouse when it comes to pitching um, over the past couple of drafts. You mentioned uh, like Jaden Hill, Joe Rock came from a similar range, McCade Brown, Carl Kaufman. Uh, they, you know, it goes with Chris McMahon. A lot of like what is the upper echelon of the Rockies farm system in terms of pitching is pretty well generated from this second, third round, maybe compensation round draft range. So Palmquist fits into it. He's just he's just super funky. And that could be more of his calling card. And to your point, they're fun to watch. That's why everybody right now is watching Nestor Cortez and it turns into a card. <laughs> when he's on the mound because it's just all over the place and weird. So, um, you know, weird place. If, if the stuff isn't necessarily what gets you the ticket, being weird on the mound can be. And so he kind of has a little bit of both. It's just fun stuff right there, man. I mean, it, it yeah. makes you feel a lot more optimistic recognizing, I mean, the Rockies were able to secure all of these players too. I know we touched on this a little bit before in our first free commercial break, talking about, you know, the signability of some of these players. Some guys will opt to not sign and potentially use their leverage to go back to college. Rockies were able to secure all of these dudes. And as we look down the list, all the way down to pick number 20, you know, I did kind of want to open this up, maybe not so much just on the specified player sense, but more maybe on the strategy of something that may have been overlooked or, you know, the history of what they decided to go after. Rockies elected a whole bunch of college players at this point, you know, to my knowledge, Jackson Cox was the only high schooler that they were able to pick. They did go get a junior college player at number 14, but otherwise, you know, we're looking at dudes that it seems like that was kind of the standard practice. And I mean, something else that stood out to me as, as I'm counting this really fast, 10 of the final 11 selections by the Rockies were pitchers and something that stood out to me, the angels, Los Angeles angels in 2021, they used all 20 of their rounds to draft pitchers. They literally did not draft a single position player. So talk about making a statement within your organization. Boy, that's one way to do it. So, you know, that's something that stood out to me. Again, you know, you bolster it with just you kind of put some flyers together. And I'm not trying. I mean, certainly if you're a 20 round pick, I mean, with the shortened draft, if you're selected, you're a legit player. I mean, you always have been, but especially now with the shortened draft. But I guess what I kind of got out of this was, you know, if you recognize Pitching, it's always going to be difficult to lure people to Colorado. This we already know, and it's simply proven just on the fact that, you know, you're not able to secure any really big, big time free agent arms in the trade market. So something that I'm kind of curious about is, you know, in the draft, this is where, you know, the homegrown draft and develop mentality, that's where the Rockies have been. And unless they trade for a prospect of Herman Marquez, this is the way it's going to come. It's going to have to come through the draft. So I guess, you know, I, I personally kind of like that format is that, I mean, you mentioned, you know, the compensation rounds of the second round is kind of the history of what the Rockies have done to really secure some dependable arms. And I know we just kind of touched on that. Was that something that kind of caught your eye? Is this just kind of maybe the way of the land and it doesn't really matter at that point? But, you know, is there any validity to maybe a similar strategy that the Rockies are pursuing? And, you know, am I putting, I guess a better way to phrase this, am I putting too much weight into finishing the draft with 10 of 11 pitchers? Uh, I wouldn't say so. Um, I think that, you know, the the big thing with the Rockies over this past decade or so is, oh, OK, they've finally starting to figure out the pitching side of it, because, you know, you look at Sensatella, you look at Freeland, uh, Marquez is is kind of in between because there was still a good amount of development that occurred um, with the Rockies, but he was acquired via trade. Uh, and John Gray, you know, best starting rotation in franchise history by a long stretch. And it's all 
developed internally. So um, it, it it's it's I think the new model that they operate under. And so being able to replenish those arms. And I think that's why a lot of people don't have a big problem with Gabriel Hughes being selected um, is, hey, you can never have too much pitching, especially if you're the Rockies. You, you need to to maximize your chances on that. So um, I don't think that you're reading too much into it necessarily. I think another factor that, that goes into this is Ryan Rollison is kind of having two lost years now in a row. In a row. Uh, Peter Lambert, another one that is is really falling off the grid. You had the majority of this season with no Helkers Oliveris, no McMahon, no Jaden Hill, no Sam Weatherly. So a lot of the top of the Rockies farm system in terms of pitching has been derailed from injury. And they simply needed to address that issue. Um, some of it is taking the best player available. And, you know, there's that's that should be the perfect world of how, you know, drafts operate, in my opinion. And, you know, that that definitely goes into the decision making. But when you're losing or you're you're finding new risk into a lot of the guys you're planning on counting on in the future you need to put some safety nets in there you need to buy some insurance and i think just going a little bit heavier in this draft was their way of going about it and you know i even put a column out there a few weeks ago saying like look at look at this we have like five innings combined <laughs> from our top seven pitching prospects i think you need to address pitching a little bit here and it looks like, you know, you can't argue with 10 out of 11 and what is it, 12 out of 20 being... Yeah, something ridiculous. There. You know, that it was an area of need and they went out and attacked it in the draft. So can't fault them for that. You know, I do want to give a shout out to all the columns that you put together, by the way. Kenneth has definitely taken a huge lead on a lot of our draft coverage over at Purple Row. And oh, I guess while we're Evan was the one who Yeah, I want to, yeah, Evan I was just about too. to say... A lot of the draft previews was coming from Kenneth, but a lot of the during the draft, a lot of like the releases and the statements that we had coming out on Purple Row, Evan Lang absolutely crushed it, man. So Killed I want it. to give him a shout out, man. I should have had, we should have had him on a guest at this point because I mean, he cranked out all this stuff and it would have been fun to feed off him right there. But, you know, please know that Evan, Evan Lang has a standing invite for this. And, you know, by all means, that means he'll probably be on next week or something. Especially like that. with that very white voice. Bring that on to right. the air. Yeah. <laughs> if, you, if you don't know by now, definitely check out the Affected by Altitude podcast. And that'll tell you everything that you need to know. Mm -hmm. um, something I did want to touch on as far as, you know, I mentioned those late rounds. I mean, pretty much exclusively pitchers with, you know, one third baseman in the 19th round. But otherwise, from the 10th round on, Rocky's going after pitchers. I thought this is something that stood out to me is the triple a pitching depth right now for those that don't know and i apologize if this is kind of a downer statement the albuquerque isotopes have the worst era at triple a right now and i mean it's just it is what it is your deal i mean again you know that's a high altitude environment it's it's challenging especially you know when you have injuries like tyler kinley going by the wayside you got to go tap into the triple a bullpen i'm ryan rollison's down peter lambert's down like i mean it's just it's been pretty thin and i mean it, it's challenging and i mean it's not it's nothing to hang your hat on, but part of the reason I was excited looking at these selections is you see the schools that some of these guys came from. East Carolina was one win away from the College World Series. Auburn's playing in the SEC. Kansas State's got some serious action in the Big 12. There's Oklahoma just made it to the College World Series final. Another dude from Texas, they made it to the College World Series. Texas Tech is one of the blue blood organizations in Division One. And I mean, that's just a handful of them. You know, so that's not to knock anybody that didn't come from one of those organizations. But I can only imagine, you know, if you're an 18th rounder out of Oklahoma, I'm looking at Javier Ramos right now, 
pick number 536, you're going to get buried a little bit further than where Cade Horton was to the Cubs. And, you know, you're used to not necessarily being the star at that point. You know, it's not a knock on him, but I mean, just draft alone will show he wasn't the best pitcher on his own college team. But, you know, maybe that creates more of a narrative of he's comfortable kind of being the role player. He's comfortable filling the gaps. And, you know, I say him as just a microcosm because, you know, any one of these guys, you look at, again, Texas Tech or Auburn or East Carolina, there had to be somebody that was selected ahead of those guys just on those actual pitching staffs. So I don't know if that's very valid because, I mean, again, this is a very individualized course of study, but, you know, just the mental fortitude of recognizing, you know, you've just been able to go after your own business. You've been able to take care of your job. And, you know, maybe you didn't feel like you needed to be the go-to guy. Of course, everybody does feel that way if they're standing on the mound. But, you know, that got me excited and it got me really curious too. And this is something else that I kind of wanted to detail. They pushed the draft back in 2021. I know 2020 was kind of a unique COVID situation, but prior to that, the draft happened to be early June. As soon as that academic calendar was finished up, right when those regionals and super regionals were taken off, that was when the draft used to be. So we now have the draft taking place in mid-July. Again, we got a taste of this when it was in Denver last year in 2021. Again, in Los Angeles, they do it in accordance or in accordance with the All-Star break. I've thought to myself, you know, it's challenging because a lot of these colleges, like these coaches before you find out, yeah, he's not coming back. It's June. His kid signed. We got to go out and find a new player. Now we're dealing with, you know, school's about to start for a lot. I mean, we're about two weeks away at this point, and some of these guys might finally be signing. So I understand that's kind of a bitter side of it, especially for these players. Maybe it would be nice that, you know, these organizations would pay them the extra month so they can breathe easy rather than feeling like they need to keep showcasing themselves. So my personal take, I, I kind of miss the draft being in June. It kind of mm-hmm. struck me as maybe a cost-cutting measure of, you know, if you don't draft these guys, you don't need to pay them. And that part of the reason that short season ball was cut. But, you know, the positives that come out of it, of course, there are kind of good ways to put this. But I figure, you know, especially a guy that knows the amateur ranks as well as Kenneth Weber, I figure I could not go any further without asking your candidacy on this. So what's your take on the on the July draft now? Um, I mean, I get it's all about centering it around the all-star break, right? the whole marketing perspective of it is while people are tone, you know, tuning into this big stage, uh, let's showcase the amateur side of it. And so I get the concept behind it, but there's just such a trickle effect, um, that messes with the college season and the come and the, uh, the summer circuits as well. Um, that it's almost kind of proving to be more trouble than it's worth. And I also think that they're, they're overshadowing the draft with some of the other all-star stuff that they do. So you get the first round, you, you know, make the big show of it. There's still two more days after that. And then you have the futures game, you have the home run derby, you have the red carpet show and all that other stuff to where it's not even being on TV at that point. So, um, I get the, the marketing strategy behind it, but they're getting in their own way a little bit too much. And a lot, you know, I, a lot of this was put really, really well, um, on the Baseball America podcast a few weeks ago uh, with Kyle Glazer, and I don't know if it was J.J. Cooper, but whoever it was. Um, but they, they they made a lot of the same points where it was, uh, you know, yeah, try to try to make it as big of a stage as you can for it, but now you're affecting the rest of the operations of baseball at the point of it being a detriment for the players and the teams um, in, in the uh, college ranks, and that is where I have more of a problem with it 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 helps in a Cade Horton's sense because Cade Horton made so much money 
over that college world series by putting on the performance he did. So there are exceptions to the rule. Um, but I think that overall it just screws up with the system a little bit too much. And one of the interesting thoughts that they had, and it was supposed to be this way in 2020 was to host the draft at the start of the college world series and do it in in particular. Um, that will still have its own problems, but eh, why not try it again? Maybe that could be, you know, a bit of an in-between on there. So, you know, it's it's worth a thought, but overall, I don't see it going anywhere. I don't see it changing, and I think that they're just going to kind of, the league is going to force uh, the rest of baseball to bend to their will. Um, so I'm just yelling at clouds a little bit at this point. But <laughs> I think, you know, it's 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 just too muddy the way they have it now. Um, and it, it it takes away from their ultimate goal of trying to, to bring more focus to the amateur players because they're competing with themselves with the way that the system is currently set up. The visual of Kenneth just yelling at clouds right there is perfect. Oh, you can see it anytime <laughs> you want. Come check out a Thomas Jefferson game. See, see oh, what happens. No. Oh, you just, you just disclosed where you're at right there, man. Uh-oh. Yeah. Uh-oh, man. No, uh, no, the person, Thomas Jefferson. I work at his estate. <laughs> we can trim that if you want. You never. Know. No, I don't care. <laughs> I don't care. Oh, Let the man. world know. It's good, man. Well, I mean, honestly, he's, he's you may as well be a celebrity in the Colorado baseball ranks, and chances are, if you know somebody that played in Denver, it's probably somebody that Kenneth Weber has had some kind of direct connection with, which, I mean, that's the funny thing, especially following these draft prospects. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's you have a knowledge, of course, of the Colorado guys. I mean, me growing up there, of course, you growing up there as well. but. I mean, it's it's funny, too, because you look at, you know, the story of Marco Gonzalez and now all of a sudden you see another Gonzaga guy coming up at the top. But I mean, it's it's interesting. You never know where the progressions are going to be. Of course, you know, yeah, I want to talk of another Thomas Jefferson guy. You see the Kyle Freelands of the world and it makes you feel good about it. But, you know, either way, we're always I I suppose you're always going to know where to find us in July. I mean, if this draft certainly is going to be sticking in the current time frame that it is right now. So. You know, mm-hmm. make it a date every single year. Just update the calendar. Recognize this is going to be a recurring segment. And, you know, we'll always have some degree of podcast going right here, as long as Kenneth's cool with it, as long as I haven't pushed you away at this point in time, man. I'm not going anywhere, man. <laughs> I live in the studio. I've been afraid to tell you this the entire time. <laughs> I got oh, a blanket and pillow over there in my teddy bear. So. <laughs> That's the way to do it, man. That's a diehard. Yeah. Nothing less. There you go. Don't tell Sam. <laughs> oh, jeez. We just have a good time right here. What can we say? (laughs) We are going to take a short little break. After this, we're going to go on our little rundown talking about all of the landscapes behind us and looking ahead for all of our affiliates. We'll crank out what they've got going on. We'll cover some interesting promotions. we got some exciting details coming up for where these guys are going. So you're not going to want to miss that. Um, Assuming you've persevered this far, you're definitely not going to want to miss that. (laughs) Thanks again for tuning in. We'll be right back. This is the Pebble Report Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back as we polish off this episode of the Pebble Report Podcast. We have got an interesting schedule landscape as, again, we're on the backside of the All-Star break now. We only had three game series last week, so really interesting travel arrangements, really weird configurations that we've got going on. But rest assured, we will cover all of this in verbal form, and we'll make sure that it's nice, clear, and concise for all you good kiddos out there, man. Starting up at the top, Triple A Albuquerque last week. They went one and two in the special three-game set against the Sugarland Space Cowboys, the formerly named Sugarland Skeeters. I made that error last time Albuquerque played Sugarland, so I had to make sure I corrected that this time. So again, Steve one and two, not 
You never know. With your words. Just sick of me. Cowboys fan. Right? <laughs> Call me this by my proper name. <laughs> I mean, I felt bad too. I mean, I just get visions of Roger Clemens pitching for the Skeeters back when they were like an independent team or something. And I just can't get that out of my head, man. I miss independent fun and weirdness. <laughs> this week, Albuquerque is starting off a six game set with the Las Vegas Aviators, um, Oakland A's affiliate. They actually have a they have a strong starting pitcher that was just called up. Jack Cushing is his name. So I do it if you're if you're interested in Oakland athletics prospects, you know, you never know what you're gonna hear on this one. Um next week, Albuquerque does take on the road. Very short little drive over to El Paso, Texas. Fortunately for the sake of travel proximity, that just so happens to pretty much be on the Texas, New Mexico border. So nothing too mm-hmm. drastic right there. So Padres affiliate right there, man. We get a little bit of NL West business going on, and you never know what you're going to run into. So moving on down the list. There you go. I, I every single as I typed out in our script, I just cannot get that out of my head. You're welcome, <laughs> or I'm list. sorry, whichever one you want to hear. <laughs> you know, I think I knew that well before you even said it too. So I think you're safe. Double A hard for last week. They went two and one against the Binghamton Rumble Ponies. The Tim Tebow list Rumble Ponies. That's how everybody, I think, remembers them. I hate to say the it. Max well, actually, Scherzer I, list. I was, yeah, I was just about to say, Max Scherzer bought them all like a pair of headphones. Got them all AirPods or something like that. I like yeah. one of those rehab stands. $7,000 so, spread. That was a cool just, story, Yeah, <laughs> that was pretty sweet right there. So needless to say, you never know what you're going to run into. The Max Scherzer intensified Rumble Ponies. Oh, I made myself sad. <laughs> Max Scherzer spent as much food as the players get paid per year. Man, yeah, you never know. That's that's always the sore <laughs> subject right there, dude. I mean, that, yeah, I know, spread, but that, that just hit. Oh, yeah, it's great and everything, but it's also <laughs> like probably fairly insulting. Or it's yeah. just like, man, you just like fed me my entire year's <laughs> worth of red. Thanks. Well, I could only help but wonder. Yeah, you're like you're fired up and then like yeah, you're in the clubhouse. Dude, this is so cool. And then you're getting your like 2003 Pontiac. And yeah. then I had to take a scooter home. <laughs> a credit card bounce. And then I had to walk. <laughs> but hey, I have filet mignon, dude. That was money. That was, awesome. that was great. <laughs> it was great. My body's oh, used to man. peanut butter and jelly, but <laughs> oh my goodness! This week, Double A Hartford's taking on the Portland Sea Dogs. I, we can't just move on from that. Now I'm just gonna be walking away through this thing. <laughs> one of the most depressing things in baseball. So <laughs> I felt bad about bringing it up, and that's why I made myself sad because the thought hit me. So, yeah, it's all fine. I'm sorry, it, minor league baseball players. You deserve better. <laughs> I also have no power to change that. I mean, I can only imagine all of the players that play against Binghamton. Like, I mean, if you're playing six game sets, so I imagine yeah. you know you kind of interact with the other team a little bit. I imagine any team that plays against Binghamton, dude, what was it like playing Scherzer? Like, oh, the I know. First yeah. baseman had to go over the spread detail dude. by detail. <laughs> yeah, the pattern on the napkins. With every guy, <laughs> the first baseman for Binghamton, just like I swear, if another guy gets to first base, it was yes, it was white and brown gravy. Okay, just focus <laughs> on the game. Are you stealing or something? Like can we talk about something else. <laughs> oh my goodness. Next week, Hartford's taking on the Reading Fighting Phils, another team that's probably played Binghamton and probably had to figure that all out. Mm. So again, that series is already over. So anybody that's trying to look for this storyline as a Hartford fan is not going to see it. So, no, you can catch up. Just type it's in a tight division there. I mean, yeah. I, they did, I mean, it's a relatively small division, though. So, I mean, mm-hmm. to my knowledge, they'll play each other again. So, maybe it's I mean, maybe it's out of the system. Maybe it's short-lived. You never know. Now, $7,000 stays in your system a long time. 
I ate Spokane last week. They went one and two up in Vancouver. I've heard that Vancouver trip is very well respected in that Northwest League. A lot of people mm-hmm. love going up there. I mean, rightfully so. I've never been, but it seems gorgeous. Um, Spokane got kind of skimped out of that. They only got three games up in Vancouver instead of the standard six. They went one and two while they were up there, so not a great showing. But, I mean, they had a couple of good performances from a handful of guys. This week, so far, they are 2-0, and taking on the Tri-City Dust Devils. Not a long trip from Tri-Cities to Spokane. They do return home. Um, they will take on the Eugene Emeralds. They have some interesting promotions. This is what I was getting into. They got, like, Marvel Superhero Night coming up. They've got like a hundred dollar strikeout night, which I actually I admit I haven't done the full research on this. I need to check this out. Um, it's largely because I was mainly distracted by the Saturday, August sixth, Wands and Wizards night. I don't know what we got going on there, man. Uh, I'm assuming Die Hard themed. <laughs> I was thinking either that or Harry Potter, but all right, we'll see no, how no, it no, goes. No, you know Bruce Willis going out there <laughs> crawling through the vents. And having to bring his cloak behind him the entire way. <laughs> you never know, man. So stay tuned. Um, we are not held accountable for anything that may go down on Saturday, August 9th in Spokane. So right. attend that game at your own risk, and we'll see how it goes. <laughs> Recapping another one of the cool promotions that we had. Um, last week was Tacos Weekend out in Fresno. They went 3-0. Yeah. and Perhaps no surprise they went 3-0 and with the taco uniforms. They had a bunch of purple Rockies trim on those. The purple edition of the tacos, I guess. Um, they took on the Stockton Ports, again, going 3-0 and on that home set. This week, they have rebranded themselves back to the Fresno Grizzlies, and they have started off the week 0-2, taking on the Modesto Nuts. So perhaps mm-hmm. we need to bring back the Taco. You know, I've often wondered, like, Fresno Grizzlies is a cool team name. <laughs> and I'm curious, you know, at what point do you just kind of rebrand and go, like, is there ever going to get to a point where they just go as the Tacos? Uh, Maybe. I'm sorry. I, I just I sent you the shot. My dog right now <laughs> trying to rub it with my laptop. So we need to, yeah, we need to come clean. Kenneth just turned his computer over and his dog so, has his head sitting. Yeah, right. all right. You, you so got to fill us in. There you go. My my compromise to the situation. Oh no, man! I got I got a, a puppy that's less than a year old. That could be self-explanatory <laughs> right there. All right, my compromise to the whole thing with Fresno is you have two halves in the single A season, right? First oh, half, okay. Tacos. Second half, Grizzlies. You know, that's that's juicy, man. I mean, you heard it here first, man. You never know who's going to steal our idea. But, I mean, if, I mean, if, if the, we can go retroactive, our post date for this podcast is going to be up. So if this actually comes to fruition, you know who to give the credit to, man. Yeah. Fresno, next week, they're going to be taking on the team with a lot more generic of a team name. They will be playing the San Jose Giants, which, you guessed it, a San Francisco Giants affiliate. So that is the full setup. <laughs> That's it, man. I don't think they're breaking out the tacos for a little while, so that'll just be a classic Grizzlies-Giants showdown. Mm-hmm. But that's it, man. So that covers the whole landscape. Again, we want to show some love to oh, excuse me, the Arizona Complex League. They'll be playing in some spring training sets. There's only so many days left in that season. I believe their postseason kicks off kind of mid to late August. So if you just so happen to be in the Phoenix Valley like myself, go take full advantage, man. It's free attendance. You get to soak it up. You get to go watch some cool venues. So that's always going. And then another, oh, excuse me, another little bit of love to the Dominican Summer League also throwing down. Um, live statistics on those leagues as well. So, you know, as Kenneth and I put together these all month teams, we definitely don't want to feel like we're leaving those guys out of the mix, but showing some love to those guys that are throwing down and want to show some love to, of course, the breakout players to watch that we pick on every single episode. Kenneth, you got a juicy candidate for us. 
Uh, yeah, if we're going to be talking about the Complex League, I'm going to go with arguably the uh, best player that we've seen in the Complex League for the Rockies this season, and that's Jordi Vargas. Um, this is somebody that was really high on a lot of prospect lists heading into the season. And, you know, since that short season Complex uh, League opened up, he's done nothing but improve his stock. Uh, so far, he's pitched in five ga- in five games. He's made three starts. In 19 innings, he has 33 strikeouts compared to just two walks. Um, so the command was always kind of a, a thing. Two you know, hit batters, two wild pitches up to this point. So when we have small samples, there does show some erraticism in there. But only six hits allowed in 67 total batters faced. And he's punching out basically half of them. So Jordi Vargas, man, you know, to your point, when we want to talk about checking out a complex league game, go and see Jordi Vargas throw because it's looking really, really impressive. And um, hopefully we get to see him do the final stretch in uh, in Fresno, um, get a little bit of a call up, get a quick taste of that full season ball and see what he can show there. So um, for what I'm watching, at least players I'm watching, man, I want to see how Jordi Vargas finishes out the season. I like it, man. You honestly might be running out of a time here in Arizona because he could easily be getting called up at this point. But, you know, fun yes. to see him taking full advantage. Interesting, especially with the Complex League. They have two off days every single week, so it'll be interesting to follow along. You know, maybe if he gets moved up that he's able to handle a little bit more of a rigorous schedule and a little bit more rigorous travel as well. But, you know, all the preliminaries point to he's getting the job done, and I'm definitely excited to see what that could be if he does get promoted. The guy that I want to pick, young 23-year-old by the name of Anderson Beto out there in Spokane in his last 13 and two thirds of an innings, his last 10 games, he's been able to go 13 and two thirds. He's given up one earned run in that span. Good enough for a 0.66 ERA. So I suppose he's probably already broken out at this point, but interesting to see, you know, I, I, I probably have to come clean. I wanted to pick a triple a reliever for my breakout player to watch. Kenneth Not too late. Right now. Not too late. I, I did. I wanted to do this. I understand we talk minor league situations here, so I don't want to dwell too much on the Daniel Bard trade deadline discourse because, you know, fact of the matter being, whenever you're tuning into this podcast, the trade deadline may have already passed and you never know. But in the event that Daniel Bard actually does depart, Julian Fernandez, also a dude with our ERA right around one. He was DFA'd earlier this season. For those that you may remember, you know, he kind of fell off a cliff in April and May, and all of a sudden he has rebranded himself. The same guy, the same kind of guy that he was in AAA last year. So I want to show him some love, but, you know, I don't want to overlook Anderson Beto. He could be the kind of guy that could also get a promotion, assuming, you know, if anything happens with the relief pitching landscape for the Rockies, I feel like the natural progression would be to call him up to AA Hartford. So, again, some pieces may have to come together. Maybe he'll just get the call up on his own at this point. You know, sub Mendoza batting average against picked up 13 strikeouts in those 13 two-thirds innings and he's only walked two guys hasn't hit anybody and you know the one run that he gave up was a solo home run so maybe that was just one single pitch that got away from him maybe it was a pretty good executed pitch but you know he seems like he's doing everything that he needs to do especially as a late inning reliever holding it down against you know certainly the step up from low a where he's been mixing it in beforehand so that's the landscape man that's the program kenneth brother thank you man i got a question for you Uh oh here we go who is your favorite draft pick? Who's my, oh dear. You know, I've, I like Carson Palmquist just because of the way he throws. Honestly, mm-hmm. I mean, as for the same reasons that we mentioned, I, 
I think that was not necessarily a, a surprise. So, I mean, it's my own bias toward his throwing style, I probably would say there. But, you know, I'm a fan, honestly, the damage that I think Jordan Beck can do at Coors Field. And I think Tennessee was able to take a lot of liberties this year as kind of just putting together a bunch of ambush hitters. They knew their pitching staff was going to get them as far as they did. And they were, I mean, they were the number one seed in the tournament for a reason. I, I like his hitting style. I think there's something to be said about, you know, just the principles that have already been kind of instilled in him. I understand that people might kind of look down on maybe a lack of plate discipline. Again, he's facing great pitchers, but I just thinking, you know, if that hits the ceiling that it's supposed to, I would probably go with Jordan Beck. Thrilled we were able to sign him. We went and got a little bit over slot for him. But, you know, assuming that goes to plan, I I would probably say Jordan Beck. I like it. I, got, I mean, I got, I got to turn to you now. Who do you got for me? <laughs> I mean, Sterling Thompson is a, uh, an underrated hitter. Um, so that that is, you know, a, a really good pickup from the Rockies. Um, to get a little bit more into the weeds, though, Connor Stain out of central Florida. I think that there's a, there's a major league pitcher there. Um, I think that he has really good stuff and is really good value in the fifth round. So, um, you know, we can, we'll, we'll have years and years to debate it and find out, you know, what the honest answer is, but, uh, you know, Thompson can hit, um, and Connor Stain, I think is, is a pretty good pitcher. Ryan Ritter. We didn't really have the chance to talk about him yet. Um, if you have the chance to see his defensive highlights, holy yes, right. <laughs> Ryan Ritter is slick at shortstop. We'll see how he develops at the plate necessarily, but that's at least going to be a really, really good shortstop defensively in the system for the next couple of years. There was some sports center top 10 action going on with that guy. That's right, man. And of course, yeah, yeah. As, as long as our program has been, there's even a couple of names that we didn't even mention that are on the list, but you know, definitely at the same time, check out all of the articles that we've been able to put together on Purple Row. I know we mentioned a lot of the draft previews that Kenneth was able to put, as long as Renee, as well as Renee Daychart with Purple Row. She did a fantastic job. Evan Lang had a whole lot of those different recaps. I know we touched on that a little bit, but, you know, be sure to check that out. If you've loved the content that we put together so far, that's where to go. And then follow us on the, on the Twitter sphere, Kenneth at KDub1988, myself at Just Wick. You never know the nonsense that we're going to have coming through. And sometimes if, if you need a Pebble Report fix in real time, you know, you know where to find us right there. It is what it is. <laughs> Special thanks to all of our colleagues at SB Nation. Special thanks to my guy, Kenneth Weber, dude. You got any final words? You got any parting words of wisdom for us? I'll just, I'll quote Christopher Lloyd from Angels in the Outfield. We're always <laughs> watching. Oh man, that's so good. It sounds so ominous as we sign off right there. Man. Say ominous, I say creepy. Potatoes. <laughs> it is what it is. I love it, dude. I uh, want to give a shout out to the Affected by Altitude podcast crew as well. Evan Lang, Mac Wilcox, and Skylar Timmons. Shout out to Skylar Timmons, all his hard work with the Northern Colorado Owls as well. With a, a Z. Bit of with, the, with the Z, that's right. Not Timmons with the S, but Owls with the Z. There you no, go. Both, both, both Z. Timmons. There you go. <laughs> Skyler with a Z also. Skyler. <laughs> I hope he tunes into this. And you just be like, what are you guys doing right here, man? He's definitely not oh, talking to me man. anymore after this. <laughs> <laughs> we got another episode coming out soon, man. Kenneth, I can't go too long without you, so we'll make sure we get something else. But as for all of our listeners, we definitely can't go too long without you guys. This has been another episode of the Pebble Report podcast. You guys the absolute best for tuning in. And on behalf of my co-host, Kenneth Weber, my name is Justin Wick. Until next time, let's go Rockies and let's play ball.